0: If you're willing to show that you're willing to train somebody for capability, when you talked about trust and all that sort of stuff, that builds deeper bonds because you're putting your trust in them and you're saying, listen, you get it. You want it. I think you're the right fit. I'm willing to train you then there's this reciprocal sort of feeling around that. And you tend to get a better person out of that, as opposed to somebody who's going to come in and just kind of do it the way they always did it. And maybe they have some underpinning issues and that just don't align with your culture or your ways and means. And there's going to be friction there, which needs to be overcome. Welcome everyone to the ultimate shift. Join Ephraim Glick and leading figures in business and entertainment as they share their stories of regular people overcoming tremendous obstacles only to achieve happiness, success, and fulfillment. Are you ready to make the ultimate shift in your life?
1: Okay, welcome back to the ultimate shift. Today, we have Pete Moore on who is outside of Toronto, Canada. Pete is a, uh, a business coach. He's an entrepreneur. He owns multiple companies. So I'm really excited to have you on today and kind of share your story and your uh, visions and ideas of, of how to do great business. So welcome, Pete.
0: Thanks so much for having me, Ephraim. It's just a pleasure, and I appreciate the invite onto the show. Absolutely, my pleasure.
1: Uh, so tell us a little bit, what's your story? How did you get started in your entrepreneur field? And and tell us a little bit about your Young adult life and and how we are here.
0: <laughs> well, we could tell a long one, but but I'll keep it short. I've been an entrepreneur almost my entire life, Efrim. So started. My parents weren't entrepreneur so to say my mom was a little bit she sold crafts and stuff to stores and you know she would do a lot of different things around that idea but sort of on the on the small scale and that's what kind of got me started back when I was 12 13 years old you know I'm building pine cone wreaths with my mom to sell at Christmas time to the to the craft stores and different things like that I was pushing the lawnmower doing all that sort of thing through high school and and helping people out in their yards and doing some landscaping and patio work and different things like that along, you know, all through high school, all through university and took some business. I took business in university, came out there, worked for my dad's best friend who had a, an entrepreneurial business for about six months. Great. Uh, the only company I've ever worked for on a full-time basis, really outside of summer work during university. And I decided at that time, it's like, you know what, working for somebody else just isn't for me. And I bought a franchise off the bat because that's what I could do. I mean, I was 23 years old and I bought a fr- franchise and we refinished bathtub and kitchen cabinets and counters and all sorts of stuff around there. That led into another franchise, which was a cleaning business. And so I ran both of those simultaneous for about 15 years' time. I sold those and I became a business broker helping people buy and sell businesses. And that's how I found one of the businesses that I still own 11 years ago. And it's a shoe store. So we, we bought a shoe store and funny story there, but uh, you know it's, it's, it's a little bit longer. But nonetheless, we bought a shoe store, then we bought another shoe store, and then we opened a third shoe store and we closed the shoe store and so we've you know been in the in the shoe business at shootopia here in canada for the last since 2010 and i've had a few other businesses along the way i've pretty much always had Two businesses on the go, Ephraim, and I like the idea of splitting the risk and some of that other stuff. So these days, I mean, I still have the shoe stores. I run a liquidation business when if we ever get out of COVID where we can actually convene a bunch of people here in, in Ontario. It's still, I know down in the States it's it's a little more open, but here in Ontario, we're still, you know, structured around how many people we can have in a venue and different things like that. So we'll probably ramp that one back up again. I started another Santa called Sandy Mist during the whole thing during the last 16 months where we were selling foggers and spray systems and stuff for people. And, you know, I continue to do simplifying entrepreneurship, which is my coaching business that we're talking about today and simplifying entrepreneurship. I also have a podcast like you. It's also called simplifying entrepreneurship. But basically what I do um, on the podcast and every day when I'm coaching entrepreneurs is that we're trying to help them cut through the chaos of running a business. You know, entrepreneurs are often overwhelmed, overworked, time-constrained, they don't see their families, they don't see their friends, they're just all out all the time. So what I try to do is really help them alleviate some of that stress, and we put in what I call you know, my model, my four P's model really around this whole idea is taking from frustration to freedom. And in the middle of those frustration to freedom is the right product mix or service. If you're a service oriented business and redefining what that looks like and making sure that it's actually relevant. And then the right people and all sorts of processes and frustrate, uh, you know, removing the frustrations around people, which is always a big one, the right process and automations and different things like that, that you can use to free up your time again and get back your time and set up automations so that you can get the right profit. Cause when you have the right profit, you can buy other people's time to alleviate some of these things. And a lot of that goes around accountability and it goes around just different things. When you get into business, it's like, hey, I just need to get into business and get going. But as your business grows, there's other things that need to be put in place in order to make that happen. And because we get in business to live the life that we want to live. And if we're mired down in these frustrations all the time, it's not a very fun life. So my goal is always to free up that time. And one of my Favorite um, marketing guys, Dean Jackson. I don't know whether you know Dean Jackson or not. from, but wonderful marketing mind. And and he uses this phrase around time, which I love. It's that there are only 24 hours in the day. You can't buy more, and you can't use less. Mm-hmm. So there are only 24 hours in a day. You can't buy more, and you can't use less. So time is your consistent. So as the entrepreneur, you can buy other people's time. Right. And you can elect if you buy other people's time to take some of the, the accountabilities, let's say, off you, then what you can do is you can recraft your time around the buckets of life that you want whether you want more time with your family, whether you want more time to invest. In my case, now that I'm freed up from my shootopia business where I'm working, you know, not as many hours there as I once was, I can do this kind of thing now where I can actually help other people work through. I don't want them to go through the same problems that I have. And as a coach, that's one of the big things that I can really, it's like, Hey, I've been there. I've done that. I just got off a call before you with one of my coaching clients in, in the service side of things. And it's like, he's running a multiple truck operation, you know, serving. And I've done that. And it's like, Hey, listen, here's a few things to look at. And he's like, Oh yeah, I never thought of that. Well, after 27 years of being in business in a variety of different businesses, I've made some mistakes, but those mistakes are learnings. And the people that I work with don't have to go through those mistakes anymore. And, and that gives me a lot of, it gives me a lot of good feelings. It's like, I'm helping these people through so they don't have to go through some of the things that I did too. I really I like that.
1: Yeah. It makes it, that's totally understandable. And, and, and you're changing Changing people's businesses around the world too.
0: I was just gonna say I have this I have this belief before we hop into in the next question that you know, entrepreneurs are the backbones of every community, Ephraim. And they're the ones that go out there, they're the ones that donate. To the church for the new steeple. They're the ones that build on the wing to the the local hospital. They're the ones that run all the rotary clubs and the civitan clubs and everything, helping people and giving back to their communities. So the one thing that I can do, if I can make those entrepreneurs have a better or, or help them have a better business, then I think that I can help their communities because they're going to be giving back to their communities. They employ their they employ people in their communities, they keep the money flowing. And without that entrepreneurial nature. And so as a coach, it's everything I can do and gives me a lot of passion and excitement around the idea that I can help these people. And when I help them, they're going to be giving back to their communities. So that's, that's just a a really interesting how I get my passion around it, I guess.
1: Yeah, it makes sense. Love it. So I'm interested. I there's some questions that I have that, that I'll have to come back to on on that topic too. But I'm very interested in your mindset as yeah. to, to let's say when you're starting, you know, you bought your first franchise at twenty three. Yep. You've dabbled in, in so many different things and have so, had so many different companies and still do. Yeah. When you're twenty three and you decide that's what you want to do, that's mm. obviously a risk, right? Yeah, as, big one. Anybody in the entrepreneur field knows or anybody that's, that's looking at that. So what was your mindset going into that? And how did you calm the fears of, am I going to make this? How, what did you tell yourself in order to, to push through in those times where the doubt trying to creep in?
0: Well, I think there's a framework that I use, and I pretty much say it on every one of my podcasts, but clarity creates confidence and confidence ignites momentum. So clarity creates confidence and confidence ignites momentum. So how do you build clarity around what it is you're gonna do? Because when you've built clarity, you're feeling good about it. Now, the other thing is, if it's the wrong clarity, you know, I, I have a model around the confidence gauge. And if you think, if you think of, you, you know, the half moon um, temperature gauge on your barbecue or whatever that you have, you know, so if you're sort of reaching up into the confidence, it's good to be confident, but you don't want to get in the red zone. And the red zone is overconfidence because that can hurt. Well,
1: thinking You have, you have more power in what you're doing than you actually do. Like there's very,
0: right. There, there can be a lot of cost you know both relationship cost monetary cost all sorts of costs around being overconfident about something i've i've been struck with that because i'm a confident person like just my nature i'm fairly confident about stuff and you know i think part of this sort of stuff is understanding understanding who you are and wrapping yourself with people who are not exactly like you so when you when you're looking you know as it doesn't matter whether you're 23 from, or whether you're, you know, I'm 50. So whether you're 23 or whether you're 50, it doesn't matter because you need to wrap yourself around with people who think differently than you and can, and be open to the feedback around that sort of stuff. So you can make your best decision. And that's part of, you know, when we talk about people in the, in the four P model, when you talk about people, it's like, you can't just have everybody who's the same as you, or else you're not getting the full picture. And from that perspective, I've always tried to do a very good job of wrapping myself around with people that, you know, had different ideas, but, you know, were business oriented and, and just, I've had really good mentors along the way. And I've had a lot of coaches and I continue to be coached along the way too. I find it hard with people out there who are coaches, but aren't coached themselves. Because how do you, how do you understand the relationship of what that means? And from that kind of perspective, it's, it's just one of those things that I've always tried to find good mentors and talk to a lot of people about things around what I'm trying to do. And sometimes that scares people. You know, yeah, because yeah. not everybody thinks the way I do. And it's like, wow, that's that's scary. But if they're scared about it, I'm going to ask them, why does that scare you so that I can get their feedback around this idea, let's say, that I have for maybe starting a new franchise when I'm 23 years old? Why does this scare you? So because maybe there's something that you're thinking of that I haven't thought of, and I need to take that into consideration.
1: Well, and and isn't it also sometimes people... People get scared of a different idea if you're in an in an organization because well, one, they haven't tried it themselves, but two, it's not their idea. So people, we tend to trust more of our own ideas for whatever reason, good or bad, right or wrong. So how yeah. do you get past that when when you're struggling with, let's say, you know, what do you say to someone who's like, well, this isn't working. This is a stress point in my business or or my life. And you know, I know I'm supposed to do something different, but I don't know anything different. And so, how do you take someone from that mindset to understanding that obviously change creates a different reality, but to trust the coach, the consultant, the the friend, the yeah. father, the mother, you know, in that scenario?
0: I think the biggest thing, Ephraim, is you don't need to always know how. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you just need to know who.
1: So, so it's a great who, as in, in in the person that's helping you.
0: Okay. Right? So there's a great book out there by Dan Sullivan and Benjamin Hardy. It's called Who Not How. And so Dean Jackson, who I talked about a little while ago and Dan Sullivan were talking one day about this whole concept of who not how. And the the concept is really and We get we started off talking about mired down in the frustration and the chaos as business owners, especially new business owners. We think we need to know every single little thing about every single little thing or else we're going to look stupid to our team, our clients, our suppliers, whatever the case is. Like if a supplier called and I didn't know as the owner, you know, I'm going to I'm going to feel stupid about that, let's say. Well, I don't, but, but a lot of people would, you know? And it's like, hey, that's not my accountability. The accountability is this person on the team and that person needs to know, but I don't need to know everything as the leader of the organization. So I just need to know who's accountable for what and who can help me through what. So when you think of it, that's one of the major frustrations in business is that most leaders think they need to know everything. They need to know how to do everything. And in fact, they don't. And the biggest way for momentum is to release that and release that and give clarity and confidence to somebody else on your team or somebody outside of your team and having an outsource partner do some of that stuff for you so that it alleviates the frustration and alleviates some of those things. And there's a way to do that and a process to do that so that it's done properly, of course, but nonetheless, allowing other people to do some of that stuff, frees up your time, frees up so that you can be you can do more. What's your unique ability, basically from Dan's perspective of of what he calls it in that book, you can do more of your unique ability and let other people do more of their unique ability. And when that happens, you can really see some big gains.
1: Yeah. I like that. In your situation here where, you know, you have multiple stores, you're obviously having someone else run them. Yeah. When you find the person or Mm -hmm. choose person that that you now think has the skills and the mindset and the capability of replacing what you know or maybe what you don't know. How do you go about to ensure, one, that these are the right people, they have the right capacity to manage, and two, as a leader, do you have certain systems you implement in order to make sure that they stick within the fundamental beliefs and core values of the organization or company.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I think that's part of process. When we talk about product and process and people, that's part of your process. And without the right process, there's no clarity.
1: So what does your process look like? How would you, if, if I was a brand new person, Yeah. This was, this was your first time talking to me and you wanted me to basically lead one of your companies, What would your first couple steps be just to give our listeners or someone that might be struggling with that an idea as to where to start? Because you can say we're here and you want to go up here. And that's a that's a lot of of transition, learning and growth in between there. So what are just a few first steps to maybe implement that trust into that person?
0: Yeah, so. I've got a few different worksheets that we use like even even from when we when we think about hiring somebody and it doesn't matter be from whether you're hiring upper level management or whether you're hiring an entry level position there's sort of another framework that I like to use from the book that's, for those of you who are watching, if anybody's watching, the book Traction right behind my head here. It's it's another great book. And I use all sorts of different frameworks to bring all this stuff out. But one of the things, they call it GWC. Does the person get it? Do they want it? And are they capable? So those are the three things. And when you're doing your interview process, when you're doing, even we, we use this during sort of quarterly reviews and all of that other stuff too. But do they get it? Do they actually understand what it is you're asking of them? Them. Do they want it? Which is very important because if they don't want it, they culturally aren't going to be a very good fit for you, right? When we talk about the right fit person and then are they capable? So two of the three, if it's a no, that person's a no-go. So if they don't get it, if they don't really understand the why of what their position is, so you need to have the right mission and the vision and the what I call in my business, the guiding principles. So when you have the guiding principles, you're outlining that with them as they come in and you're asking questions along the way as to, you know, probe to see if they're going to align with those guiding principles, the key characteristics, your critical actions, the different things that you've aligned in your mission statement and guiding principles. And are they in alignment with you? for cultural fit. So if they don't get it and they just don't, then it's a no go. Number two, if you really just don't think they want it and they're just doing it because they got it, they have to have a job or they're doing it as a stopgap in between another until something better comes or any of that sort of like any of the reasons that would indicate to you that they really just don't necessarily want this position, that's a no go. And then the capability one is the one that has a little bit of gray area. And the gray area is if they really get it and they really want it, I can train capability. And that's the process side of things where, where we've got s- steps in place, like here's the checklist, here's the stuff, you know, in or- if I take it back to my shoe business, it's like, okay, if I need to have a key holder or an assistant manager, they need to go through a certain amount of video training. They need to go through a certain amount of training with my manager. They need to work their way up. They need to know how to receive everything. They need to know how to deal with customer complaints and all of those things. And we're checking those boxes along the way. And then they get their key. And as they're a key holder, the next step is to go to assistant manager. The whole range is there for them. And there's processes in place for each of those steps so that the future is mapped out essentially. And from that perspective, do they get it? Do they want it? And are they capable? Well, sometimes they stop at a certain level because we just don't think they're maybe capable of taking the next step or maybe they just don't want to take the next step. They might be really happy where they are, but they don't want to take the next step. So I'm not going to put them into that step if they don't want it again. That's a no. That'd be a no. They're still good and they still want what they're doing, but they don't necessarily want the next step. And I'll use an example. I had a store manager who used to work with us that didn't really need to work. She was working because she wanted to work. Okay. Well, she had some family issues, you know, parents were sick and different stuff. And you know, had a grandkid and wanted to take some time off. She didn't want to have the responsibility of being a store manager anymore. So she quit. We had a great chat. It was great. You know, she left on great terms. She was a key part of our organization, all that kind of stuff. Anyway, about two years later, she knocked on the door basically and said, I'd like to come back part-time as a salesperson. We'd love to have you part-time as a salesperson, you
1: know? The systems and the processes and everything else.
0: Right. But she doesn't want the job of store manager. Yeah. So if I put her there, she'd leave again. Right. Right. So she wants the part-time position because she likes what she does. She's, she likes our culture. She wants to be working with the public, all this kind of stuff. So that's how you can use the sort of the get it, the want it, and the capable because you can train capabilities and it takes time. The problem is a lot of people, entrepreneurs, business owners feel that they don't have time to train capability. So they really want that third capability already sort of in a done-for-you model where that person's coming in with all three. And I say sometimes that if you're willing to show that you're willing to train somebody for capability, when you talked about trust and all that sort of stuff, that builds deeper bonds because you're putting your trust in them and you're saying, listen, you get it, you want it. I think you're the right fit. I'm willing to train you. Then there's this reciprocal sort of feeling around that and you tend to get a better person out of that as opposed to somebody who's going to come in and just kind of do it the way they always did it. And Maybe they have some underpinning issues from another business or whatever, wherever they were trained that just don't align with your culture or your ways and means. And there's going to be friction there which needs to be overcome. So there's always issues no matter which way you look at it. It just depends on how you want to come at it.
1: Yeah. How did you learn you know, obviously there's coaches and you've have have years of growth behind you when it comes to leadership and coaching, uh, guiding rather your teams as a young entrepreneur, where did you go to, to learn these things besides, besides a coach and yep. you know, what, what were some tools or some, some things that you utilized in order to, to learn and, and not, and try to avoid, you know, a lot of costly mistakes.
0: Yeah. So number one, I'm a voracious reader. I have a belief that I'll never finish learning, and from that perspective, I've always there's, I mean, there there's certainly are books out there and authors out there that I that I never miss one of their books when they release and stuff like that. But my feeling is that if if I can pack all of this knowledge from all of these great people, taking one or two good things out of each book is really all I need because the, I mean, there's just so much good information out there. And this is, you know, I'm talking 20 years ago here, or 25 years ago, almost 30. And now it's like, The power of these podcasts, Ephraim, I mean, so much good stuff is shared on on these millions of podcasts that are out there. There are so many good things. There's different groups. There's Facebook groups. There's also, I mean, the power of being able to get the information that you need now is so easy. Never was easier than it is now. You can buy a course on anything online, basically. You can be coached from the best people in the world on Masterclass, let's say. And so long as you're good with that video sort of based instead of an in-person type coaching like we do. But from that perspective, I mean, there's so much good knowledge out there and really for a fraction of the cost of hiring an actual coach. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's the kind of thing. It's how do you align with some of the things you need? And I think, again, the clarity comes back to it. You need to know what it is you need help with. Do I need marketing help? Do I need operational help? Do I need human resources help? And go and dig deep as much as you can in that sort of stuff. And along the way, over the course of your entrepreneurship life, you're going to have all this experience because you've dug deep at the time of need into these different areas so that. You end up really becoming a wealth of knowledge, and that's the wisdom that creates, you know, a better business down the road.
1: Right. Yeah. So with that, there's also a question that comes out of that. So, so you know, with the the very easy access to learning, there's also a part of that to where, and and well, let's just round this into kind of a question: if someone is looking for a coach, yeah, what are some steps you advise them to do? Because with everything that you just said, and there's so much easy access stuff. There's also a lot of people out there trying to tell you how to do something they've never done. (laughs) And, you know, that's tough. But now when it, when someone has a business and you're teaching business like you, that's how do people that, that are new, it, you know, it's easy. I feel like for entrepreneurs or someone who's done something for me to look at you, obviously I can look at you and listen to you and understand you've been through a lot of stuff, but if there's yep. a new entrepreneur and they might not know some of these things, how do they decipher the noise and how do you pick through that and kind of find that one person that that is actually good, a good fit, if you will, for yep. Or or is it more, do you believe it should be more uh, instead of a one-on-one sometimes be more of a class type of group, like what you're talking about? And I know from, from visiting your website, you also offer that.
0: Yeah. So it depends on how you learn. Okay. Everybody learns differently, right? So some people are perfectly good with online learning. Some people want the interaction. Some people like the group environment because they want sort of that different thing. So really, it depends. You need to know yourself a little bit before you get into that sort of thing and understand what it is you want. And, and from that perspective, I think you need to have it right. What I call the right fit alignment. You know, I just had a what I call a discovery call about two hours ago here before hopping onto this one with a new potential client. And part of that discovery call is to see whether we're a right fit. So we, we talked for a half an hour about like the, their background, what they're looking for, my background, what I'm looking for to see whether or not we're going to have a good marriage. And as far as the, as far as the coaching relationship goes. And I think anybody who's not willing to to do that. If you're a live coach, if you're, if they're not willing to have sort of that, that sort of say anywhere from 15 minutes to a half an hour conversation to see if you're a right fit, I would discourage probably working with somebody like that because, you know, you're going to invest money with them and a lot of time with them. And, you know, my sort of philosophy around this sort of stuff is if, you know, we sign up, I I sign up clients for doing different things, but if you really don't like it after the first section session, I just give you your money back because personally, I don't like to work with people that don't want to work with me. I've got, I've got a busy schedule and a busy life. And if you don't think it's a good match, then I don't want to be put in that situation either. So, you know, that's my promise to my clients is that, I'm I'm always happy after the first session it's like hey if this didn't work for you I'm just going to give you your money back and we'll call it a day and and shake hands and and you know go from there but when you when you're aligning with a coach find out what it is you need the most help with and whether you you need a specific coach or a generalist coach you know, on, on different things that can give you sort of overall mentoring advice of running a business or whether you need specifically social media coach, or whether you need a speaking coach because you're going to be doing speaking tours in your business or whether you need, like, think of it as a, well, here's another interesting thing. You know, a lot of people go to the gym Well, they hire a coach to help them pump weights and pay them whatever X amount of dollars every, every visit. But they don't actually have a coach for their business and their business is what gives them the lifestyle that they live
1: and the money to pay for that coach at the gym.
0: <laughs> I mean, I find that interesting. You know, they'll, they'll say, well, you know, uh, I'm, I've I don't, you know, I'm not going to pay for it to have a coach. Well, you do to have a diet coach. If you go to weight watchers, let's say, or, or to go, if you go to the gym and you have a coach there, or you have a, you have, you pay for coaches for your kids, gymnastics, but you don't pay for, or or for swimming lessons, you don't pay for a coach for your own business, which gives you the lifestyle. It's an interesting thing, you know, when you, when you do that, but align with your coach, make sure it's the right fit. Make sure that they have the background, the technologies and the frameworks, the different things that can help you through that sort of stuff so that you ultimately you should really set up. I like to set up with my clients, quarterly sort of things. It's very hard to do anything in less than a quarter and sh- and actually show any advancement. Yeah. So it's like, okay, what are we going to work on? Let's set out the prime priorities for this quarter. And what are our deliverables at the end of the quarter? So that there's like a clear guideline going through your coaching arrangement on what's the expectation of what we're going to try and accomplish here so that, you know, we can, we can get there. And ultimately before we hopped on before we hopped on this conversation i was saying the difference between a coach and a consultant and i think it's worthy of of talking about here a consultant is a done for you model so if you want somebody if you want to hire a social media coach and you're expecting that coach to actually do all your social media for you you don't want a coach you want a consultant you want somebody who's giving you the done-for-you social media clips that you post or even posting them for you, that's a consultant. If you're looking for a social media coach, the coach is actually going to help you do those kind of things. And, you know, putting it in perspective, we're just off the Olympics a couple of months ago. The coach who coaches the 100-meter relay team doesn't run the 100-meter relay. They coach the 100-meter relay so that that team is the best that they can be. And so that's the difference. A lot of people confuse coaching and consulting I think. And that's where a lot of the relationships fall down because they were expecting the coach to actually do a bunch of stuff for them, where really the coach isn't there to do it. They're there to guide them through their thinking about their thinking in order to move ahead their business in whatever way, give them frameworks to think about stuff so that they can then act upon it. And Part of my job as a coach is to bring accountability to that and make sure that people are implementing and, and holding them accountable in our meetings and saying, hey, listen, last week we talked about this or, you know, last month we said, you know, that this was going to be the stuff and you're not living up to it. So that's part of my job as being a coach, just like that, just like that guy at the or that lady at the Olympics that's coaching the team. It's like, hey, you didn't show up to practice today. Mm mm-hmm. So that's my job as a coach is to work through that, give them different exercises to work through, understand what it is they need and help them <laughs> pursue that so that and hold them accountable to it. And sometimes that accountability hurts Ephraim. Yeah. you know, because it comes back to you and it's like, yeah, I didn't do it. Well, it's not the coach's fault. It's like, I can't make you do stuff. I can't crawl across the Zoom room and and hold your nose in it. It's like, it's still up to you. You need to actually do the work that it's going to take if you want to get there. And it doesn't matter whether that's an Olympic athlete or a business. You have to do the work that it's going to take to help you get there.
1: You said something that's really key in there too. You said, if I do a session and basically it wasn't a good, ending, you give the money back. I think that where some people get stuck at with bad coaching is, and this usually comes back to someone who coaches for a living, but hasn't really ever done anything else. They lock you into that. And you're just, that's just money you lost if if it wasn't a good fit. And so, so I think that's a huge distinguish there, a difference that kind of distinguishes the two, two types of coaches. You have a book behind you that just keeps grabbing my attention and not to it says hug your people.
0: Yeah. And so
1: we're in a time right now not to get political or whatever with this, but like, I see this everywhere. And and when you're running a team of people and a big organization and you're used to having, you know, my organization, we're really close. We're not all family, but we're family. Meaning we we do things together. We go on weekends. We'll go, uh, you know, on a, a lot of what we do, we do together in the world we currently live in today. How can we as businesses still keep that close? contact with our people and and that humanity side of who we really are and what we're made to do the hugging and the celebrating and the being close to each other and things like that when everything around us is screaming the opposite and how do you what is your advice on someone an organization that's struggling with that because of maybe it's the law like australia has some pretty extreme strict laws of, of not being around each other not seeing family but in a business setting What's your advice to kind of navigate that and still keep that, that humanity side there?
0: So interesting uh, you brought that up, Ephraim. Uh, one of my calls last week was with a company that I coach, and they're in the insurance business. And from that perspective, you know, most of them are working remotely, right? Like we're talking about, they're working all remotely. And they're having some problems with some of that connect and the culture around that and stuff. And one of, one of their other coaches in the industry basically said, it doesn't matter so long as they're keeping up their KPIs. And this was the point of the call. And I said, I have an absolutely opposite view to that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, here's an industry expert that's been around forever and basically said, just let it be so long as they're keeping their KPIs doesn't matter. And my philosophy is it absolutely matters it absolutely matters. That's the culture. That's the glue of the organization. And when you don't have that in, the, in your organization, your clients don't see it. Your suppliers don't see it. The rest of your team doesn't see it. Productivity goes down. You'll lose customers. You'll lose. There's so much to be lost, not by having that. Mm-hmm. And just to say that, make your sales numbers and we're not going to, you know, we don't really don't care. I mean, I, I couldn't believe I heard an industry expert say that to be honest, but the importance of that is absolutely critical to building a good team. Hug your people. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, from I, that book is a great book by Jack Mitchell. I think Jack might be passed on now. I, I'm not sure, but he was a wonderful retailer. He's written a couple of good books. I can't remember the other one right off the, right off the bat now, but awesome, awesome idea around when you have a powerful team, when your team is working in on all cylinders as a team, how powerful that can be. And it magnifies and exemplifies sort of a, the real powerful movement of everything that's going to grow around your vision and your mission and all those things. If everybody's aligned there. With those guiding principles that we talked about, then the team is, I mean, it's like two for one. If you look at it from a KPI perspective, you're getting one for one or sometimes less than one for one. And when you look at it from a team perspective, you're getting twice of everything or more, even magnified by more than that. Everybody loves what they do. Think of your attrition rate. If people aren't bought in on the team, they have no loyalty to you, they have no loyalty to the your customers, all of this stuff, like if they're not bought in, that's the get it and want it part. If they don't want to be there, they're just going to leave. People are leaving in droves right now. Why are they leaving? Because employers aren't hugging their people. I couldn't agree more. And and I think at the end of the day, your KPIs
1: aren't going to be where they're supposed to be. If, if like you said, if the culture isn't there.
0: So short-term thinking, Ephraim.
1: I can't believe that anyone advised that either. I, I show this is another question that's kind of related to our time, which we hope is temporary as much as possible. Yeah. But I don't know what you got, how you guys have there in, in Canada, but in the States, there is a massive, massive, massive labor shortage. Yeah. And I feel it myself. I mean, this has sure. been the most stressful summer in my organization in, in the two different ones that I run as a, on a daily basis. We had the same problem on both of them. We could use five to 10 people per organization and guess who's filling in. I know And so to people like me, what's your advice for the entrepreneurs out there, the owners, the leaders that are kind of having to to now fill in, in every aspect of the organization, wherever they're needed to try to hold everything together. And you know, what's, what's your advice to that, to how do you navigate that? And then, and still because I don't have the answer to this, is the answer I'm trying to find this week specifically is how do I, I'm not asking for balance as an entrepreneur. I think we give that up when the day we decide to become an entrepreneur, but is there something you could say to that, that, that can kind of, you know, take away a little bit of that. And, or what is, what is something you would do if you found yourself in that position to kind of take a deep breath, to take a step back? And, and And then how do we, how do we get through this? I guess is the question.
0: Well, <clears throat> that isn't an easy question. And there is no right answer. And, you know, I can tell you what I would do. And I have done in variety of different, you know, stages along my career. I'd work every hour as opposed to hiring the wrong person. Mm -hmm. We talk about team culture and stuff like that. As soon as you start hiring people that are just a warm body that can fog the mirror when they put the mirror in front of their nose or mouth, everybody around sees that. And again, you're going to affect the culture of the organization. When I talked about having the right team environment, everybody on the team, when they're aligned with their why, when they're aligned with all these other things, those people are the people that step up. They step up over and over and over again. And I mean, there's a certain breaking point for everybody, and that has to be acknowledged, right? So what would you do? I would turn away business before I would hire the wrong person. Okay. So if I was, you know, on taking contracts, let's say you know, I would not take another contract until I had the right team member. I wouldn't take a contract to find a team member. And so those kind of things, you know, you just have to look at where your priorities lie. And to me, the, sa- the long-term sacrifice of hiring wrong and working through some, and those people that you've hired just to get in there can affect long-term relationships with your existing customers that are irreparable. That's good. I'm not willing to sacrifice that. So some people are because they just want to make their numbers. But if you're the business owner, you can reset that and say, listen, we're going to take 25% 25% less top line this year because I just don't have the people. We'll build it back up because we have the right team. And as soon as we get more people that get it, want it and are capable, then we can start ramping back up again. But for now, we just need to take it down and accept the fact that we need to take it down until like you guys in the States, like we do in Canada, until the government subsidies are gone and everything sort of irons out again and things you know work back to where our workforce is sort of back to normal, let's call it. And that's gonna take a while. So we just have to reset. Sometimes in business, you just have to reset those goals to accommodate reality. And I think that's where a lot of businesses are having the hard time. It's like, hey, I need to make these numbers. I need to make these numbers. Well, the numbers are wrong. So it's time to reset some of those numbers and and be a little more realistic about what you can do with your current team, not sacrificing by hiring just the warm body because you need, again, we go back to the people, such a key piece. They can affect long-term relationships that are going to affect lots of things down the road. So there's short-term pain that we're all dealing with right now. And by the way, every one of your customers knows it too because they're dealing with it as well. So it's not just an excuse. You're not just saying, hey, listen, I don't have people to do this or whatever the case is. They know that this is not just an excuse. Everybody in North America knows right now that there's a huge shortage. So from that perspective, you can take down your contract load and raise your price.
1: That's good. I really like that answer. I like all of the answers that you had to that, which is, uh, it's something that as simple as it sounds now that you said it is something that I hadn't put any thought to
0: like, Oh, well you can just say no. (laughs) The power of two letters. No. Right. And you're doing them a favor too. Okay. Yeah. Instead of leading them on, you're doing them a favor and you're just being up You're saying, listen, I can't take this on right now. We don't have the manpower. We're, we're maxed. But what happens when you don't have the manpower and you're maxed is everybody. And right now, everybody else is too. So what do you do? You raise your price. Yeah. And the people that want to stick with, you're going to pay because you have the right people, because you're delivering what you've promised. And because if they go and look for somebody else, they're going to get the crap that they don't want.
1: Yeah. You have the right culture. Yeah. Well, we're kind of rounding up on time, so I have at least two more questions that I would love to hear your take yeah. on. If you could ask any one person, alive or dead, one question, who would the person be and what would the question be?
0: Well, I often talk about this, but I'd go back literally sitting at the table, at the farm table of my grandparents' farm back when I was 12, 13 years old, when my grandfather passed away. And I'd want to know what it was like for him growing up and getting through the struggles of i mean you guys don't know his life but i do uh, getting getting through some of the struggles that he had to deal with and how he got through those kind of things and had the life that he had along the way i'm i'm always interested in those kind of things digging back into history seeing how people did things and what was really life changing for them at that time and i look at different times and you know through the great depression you know, not, not the one we've just had, but the one back in the thirties, you know, and through the wars and through those kind of things, like, how did you live life? Like, what did you do? how did you work through these things? And as an entrepreneur, as a, somebody in, you know, that owned a farm and, and worked out off the farm as well. It's like, how did you make this stuff happen? We think we have hard struggles now, Ephraim, come on, those guys had struggles. So for me, I'd like to go back and, and sit around and, you know, just enjoy some stories with my grandparents
1: realize how, how nice we have it. Yeah. COVID and all.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
1: When you think back to your life in that same regard, and you think of a time that maybe there was that, The show is called the ultimate shift for you, that ultimate shift that changed the trajectory of where your life was going to, to where it is now. Is there a time that stands out to you that, that really changed the course for you? And what was it?
0: Yeah. So I hinted at it earlier and, and that's basically six months in after finished university working for my namesake, by the way, his name was Peter and uh, my dad's best friend. And so, you know, working for Peter and I was, I liked the business. I liked all of that stuff, but what I really didn't like was the fact that I just needed to make my own decisions. I needed to make my own way. I needed to be my own boss. And when I made that decision at that time, I've never looked back. I've always been my own boss. I've always made my own decisions. I've always been responsible for either good luck or bad luck. And I've had both Yeah. and, but it's been on my shoulders and that's not for everybody. In fact, it's only for five or 8% of us who are entrepreneurs. Right. And a lot of people don't want to deal with that. Well, I did. That was really a life-changing thing when I decided At 23, 24 years old, 23, I guess, when I first started September of 23. So literally 27 years, September of 94, literally 27 years ago, right now, when I started that first business, I have never looked back and I've, and I'm so glad I did. It's been a, I'm only 50 years old. I'm not, I'm not packing her in. I got a long, long entrepreneurial career ahead of me. I don't plan on retiring, but it's been a great 27 years of being in business and I wouldn't do it any other way it's been a pleasure.
1: That's a good place to be at Yeah. When you're 50 years old. And you can say that about your life. Yeah. Last question. This isn't necessarily related to business or anything, but if you were given the world stage today with everything that's going on in the world, good, bad, ugly, yep. what do you think you would say to the world that they're going to remember you by? What would you say to the world that you feel like the world needs to hear right now?
0: Well, from that perspective, I I think I'm reflective today. We just had a death in the family yesterday and we're I'm I'm a family person as you can probably already tell just from some of our conversations here in the last little bit. But I'm going to say that there's nothing more important than your relationships. We talked about it with our hug your people. We talk about it, you know, but the relationships that you have there, well, there's two things that are super important in life. One is your health. If you don't have your health. So there's a great old saying that I love. It's called the man who has his health has a thousand dreams. The man who doesn't has, but one, and that's Mm -hmm. just to get healthy again. But once you have your health and if you stay healthy and all that sort of stuff, there's nothing more important than the relationships that you have, both personally and professionally. And from that perspective, people underestimate their relationships. We do it in our marriages. We do it in our families. We do it with our friends. We do it with our clients. We do it with our suppliers. We do it with our teams. And when you start living your life to fulfill relationships the best that you can, it's a pretty rewarding life.
1: And yours reflects it. I can tell. First off, I'm sorry about the death in the family. I want to acknowledge you for first thank thank you for coming on and sharing your wisdom and your insight. And and I just want to acknowledge you for everything you just said with, I can tell you're a people person. And that also, I think is the reason you've had the success you've had. And, and I think that's something that a lot of organizations and companies are missing that Slowly but surely, we're kind of turning the tide, if you will, on that. I think you know people are. That's why I was really surprised, but the same way you were earlier, to hear someone say, "Well, just get your numbers." You know, that's not really what we hear anymore when it comes to business. And when you have that mentality, people tend to leave because they have other options. For sure. And, And I think you have built something incredible because of your insight on relationships and people and the importance of it. And and I feel like that's something I could definitely learn from you on as well. So thanks for being here. And for our listeners, if they want to follow you and kind of learn more about you, what platform do you really kind of spend the most of your time on for, to interact that people can interact with you on? We'll put all your, we'll put all your, your links and everything in the show notes as well.
0: Thanks, Ephraim. I appreciate that. And you know, if you want to find out anything about me, just Google simplifying entrepreneurship, simplifying entrepreneurship, you'll find the podcast, you'll find my website, you'll find information about me. I mean, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram. I spend most of my time on LinkedIn. I'm a business sort of coach, you know, from that perspective. So LinkedIn is a natural one for me, but yes, I'm pretty much across all of them. You can check out my YouTube channel. We we post a bunch of stuff over there too. It's simplifying entrepreneurship, but the easiest way, if you don't remember all of that is just type in simplifying entrepreneurship and it'll link you there.
1: Perfect. Well, thank you for being here. It's been an absolute pleasure for me. And I've, I've been taking notes and I have a whole list here, so I can't wait <laughs> to dig more into them. So I
0: really love it. I love it. I appreciate the time we had together, Ephraim. And thanks so much for having me on your podcast today.
1: My pleasure. Thanks again for tuning in to The Ultimate Shift. Look, I know life is crazy. Life gets busy and we all kind of have an idea of where we want to go and where we want to end up, but there's so many things that come up in between. And my goal with this show is to grab one thing from every guest that we can apply to our lives that help get us closer to our end goal. You can follow me on Instagram at Ephraim Glick, Facebook at Ephraim Glick, Twitter at Glick Ephraim, or you can go to the website at Ephraim Glick.com. See you next time.